Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. All right. Well, I have the distinct pleasure of my next guest on the Revenue Hustle is Jeff Pedowitz, the CEO of the Pedowitz Group. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. And uh, I'm hustling like everybody else. It's awesome to be here. Your team is always hustling. And I have to say, before we get into all the great things that we're going to talk about in marketing, I have to say thank you because you were the one that actually came up with the three words, the revenue hustle for our podcast. And so it was back and forth with you and your team. And um, you were the ones that actually came up with that. Um, so thank you. Um, because I've gotten a lot of great feedback on the name and, and uh, they came out of your brain. So thank you very much. Hey, it's, it's our pleasure, man. But you're, you're the inspiration and uh, you guys have been a great partner. We definitely love working with you. So definitely excited to start listening to your podcast and, and all the amazing guests you're going to have on. So thank you for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So, uh, so Jeff, you've been the CEO of the Pedowitz Group for the past 13 years. Um, doing all sorts of amazing marketing work with different clients, hundreds, thousands of clients, a lot in mainly B2B, right? B2B clients um, in a variety of different capacities, strategy, technology, uh, and everything in between as it relates to marketing. And uh, you and I met probably a year ago, but your, your company's been a client of Nine Lenses over the past two years, which is kind of how we've got to work together. And it's been, it's been great to work with you guys. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit more about what we're doing together and, and um, you know, because you really shaped our thinking here at Nine Lenses. So I want to kind of explore that a little bit. But I want to jump right into revenue rule number one. This is a new thing we're doing on the, the Revenue Hustle is coming out with revenue rules, which is really kind of like foundational ways our guests think about driving revenue inside of their business. And so, Jeff, I'm just going to throw it over to you. What is your revenue rule? So I think our first revenue rule, Tom, is to F the funnel. F the funnel. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, hey, you know, the funnel's been around for over 100 years, actually almost 140 years now, and really hasn't changed predominantly that much. Started off as an advertising concept. It was adopted in the early 20s to embrace a sales approach. And by and large, it really hasn't changed uh, dramatically. And the problem with the funnel is it really is a systemic process device that's used by companies to manage demand, internal demand. We all use it. We all grow up with it. We know it. We love, you know, love it, hate it. We use it. Right. Um, and uh, it it's really starts with, hey, let's get raw materials, suspects and prospects at the top of the funnel, and then we're going to whittle them down to a finished product, which is a closed one deal. And then that's it. And we, we discard them and we start, we go right back up to the top again. So what have you done for me lately? And we're constantly trying to increase volume and velocity, volume and velocity. And that's great from a process perspective, a manufacturing perspective, but it's terrible from a customer relationship mm. perspective. And it really does not take into account a number of things. Number one, it completely ignores what happens after the sale. So ostensibly, we're trying to win customers so that we could do business with them for a right. long time, right? 
but we're so focused on getting the next new customer, we don't really spend hardly any time with our current customers, except when it's time to renew, of course. We send out that you know, 30 minute or 30 day, 90 day reminder. Second problem is uh, it assumes that the customer is going to follow a straight path. Sure, for us, it's an assembly line, so we can predict the conversion steps between steps and steps, but that's not really how customers buy. It's more like a game of shoots and ladders. They're moving up and down, sideways, back and forth. Mm-hmm. Number three, uh, if our salespeople are fortunate enough to actually uh, add a contact to the opportunity, which many times they don't, but even that first contact, it, it, that lead source, it's all about that one person. So when you're trying to forecast and you're in B2B and you're selling to a buying center with multiple people, the funnel take, does not take that into account at all. So if you're using lead scoring, you're only scoring the primary contact, right? And even if you're scoring the other people separately, they're not added to the opportunity and you're not summarizing that activity. So you're really getting a very false read, right? So uh, these are just some of the many problems and the funnel is very narcissistic and it really is obsessed about how much more demand can we get through the pipe so that we can drive more demand through the pipe. So uh, we found, especially over the last five to six years that in modern buying environments, as customers are further through the, the cycle, 60, 70, 80%, multiple buying centers and they have different needs that the funnel is an antiquated concept so that's mm. why we're saying you know what f it get rid of it uh and we've well, that up- begs a, that begs a lot of questions right i mean just from like um i mean I, I love you know it's it's out there right like that's a very unique perspective uh which i'm not surprised that you guys share and so like i'm curious like how have you guys i mean we're gonna talk about like what is what's next like what's if you ignore the the funnel what do you do but also like how do you report internally how do you have conversations because i know you're very numbers driven i know that to be a fact about you and so um i'm just kind of curious like what comes next what's post funnel but also how do you as a leader and ceo of a company also kind of track and measure performance yeah absolutely so of course you still need to measure things but you can now measure them from a different lens Mm. right what's the customer lifetime value what's the total cost of customer acquisition um how many of our customers are engaging with us throughout the whole life cycle so what we've done is we've adopted more of a loop infinity based model um, and it's really meant to reflect as a metaphor not as an absolute so in an infinity loop you could have four stages of customer acquisition four stages of uh, customer expansion or you could have three stages of customer acquisition and 17 stages of customer expansion it doesn't really matter but once they're in the loop, right, it's being on a lazy river, you know, we want to continue the flow. And so um, those of us that sell multiple products and services, ostensibly, we could have a very loyal customer that's been working with us for uh, five years. But then we can complete, they could be completely unaware that we've launched a new product or service and they might have a need for that. So what we don't want to do is we don't want to treat that customer as a lead, mm-hmm. as a prospect. And that's happened to all of us, right? We get these letters. I still get them from like Salesforce and Adobe. Hey, let me tell you about all the great <laughs> features that we have. Have you thought about working with us? I'm like, dude, <laughs> we've been like, we've been a partner. We've been using your products for over 10 years. Can you not at least check that out in, a, in, in your database? Um, or when we get on the phone, right? And we're calling up and, and, and they're like, hey, Tom, can you uh, verify yourself, please? You know, give your name and your account number. Sure, this is Tom. My account number is one, two, three, four, five. Okay, hold on. I'm going to transfer you. Oh, good afternoon, Tom. Hey, can we verify you again? I'm like, didn't I just do that? And, and so these things happen day after day. Why? Because our systems are siloed. 
they're separate. You know, mm. they're meant to manage things at a certain point in time, but they've always built built from a management perspective. They were never really built um, to be around the customer. Everybody points and looks at Netflix and Amazon and says, I want to do that. I want my company to be like that. They're so customer driven. And people fail to realize that these companies built their systems around the customer from day one. That's why they're able to do what they do. So you have to do more than just desire. You have to work towards it. So within the loop, what are we trying to measure? Well, we're measuring different things, right? Sure, you can still have qualified leads to opportunities, and that's a metric that you can measure. You can look at your total cost of acquisition. You can look at lifetime value, but I'm also looking at other things, right? Um, percentage of adoption. Are they driving value? Um, my renewal rate, my retention rate. Um, and when it gets to value realization, how, how am I helping my customer increase their process efficiency or effectiveness? Am I helping them make money? Am I helping them save money? Because really, it's not about specifically what features they're using just by itself. It's whether or not the, the features that are within our product or service are helping our customers achieve some type of measurable business outcome. And then when I look at things like loyalty and advocacy, do I win more uh, or do I get higher deals? Is my sales cycle shorter when I have an advocate or a reference that's joining me at, at, at that deal that I can attach to it? Um, so is there is there merit? And me pursuing and developing a loyalist and advocates. Uh, um, so those are all some some of the many numbers that we would measure. And it's just waking up to a new concept. I mean, look, um, with so many things, we don't know that we needed them until they're here. You know, 10 years ago, if I said, would you get into a car with a stranger in a strange city? And you mean like a cab? I'm like, no, no. I mean, like just anybody, like someone pulls up in a, in a car, yeah. get in a car. like what? Uh, that's That's Uber. Right. Or if we were very happy with our Blackberries. We didn't know that uh, the smartphones yeah, would change the world, yep. you know, and, and so it's it's just realizing that there's a new way of thinking, that there's a new paradigm, there's a new possible way to engage. It doesn't mean that you can't measure numbers. It's just measuring it differently. Mm -hmm. And so you're almost coming up with different measurements, right? So there's some traditional measurements that you have, but you're adding new um, measurements or, or, or new KPIs to fit along that new customer paradigm, right? Because I think you're saying you have to change. It's not just a mindset, but your systems have to change to think this way, as well as your measurements and how you report on them. Yes, you do. And, and you know, if you're using standard benchmarks, if you've adopted things like the waterfall, um, you know, in the beginning it worked really well because in the absence of anything else, it was, it was great to have a benchmark um, and, and some set of standards and you could talk to other companies and find out how they're approaching it. But what happens over time is those benchmarks and standards don't really hold up because even though you and I can be in the very same business, I could have a very different sales approach. I could have a different pricing structure. I could have a lot of different other factors. I could sell my product or service differently. And so those things have a, a very big impact on the benchmark because you can't just look at the pure rate of conversion. And then if I do have multiple products or services, or if I sell to different segments, I sell to an enterprise, mid-market, and SMB, many companies do. If you're mashing it all together in one funnel, you're getting a distorted view of, of what it is. At a minimum, you have to have different funnels uh, for each of those sales motions because uh, my enterprise cycle could be nine months long and my SMB cycle could be 30 days. But if I'm looking at rates of conversion, right. it's, it's going to be very different. So it, it's really taking a holistic approach. And again, look, I get it. I have to run a company too. And when we, in my management team, we look at reports all the time. But 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 there are other ways to manage the business. And if you're truly trying to get customer centric, you're going to just look at it through a different lens. 
And I think that's the key part there, that you're trying to get customer-centric, because I think the underlying idea here is that this is going to be best for them, and it's going to produce more revenue or, or longer you know, lifetime value from that customer. Like, so what are some of the outcomes that you anticipate or are seeing from this, this paradigm shift? Well, we definitely see an increase in renewal rate. We see an increase in customer lifetime value. We see a lower cost of customer acquisition. We see a higher increase of cross-sell, upsell, and wallet share. Um, those are just some of the many things that, that we're seeing when companies truly focus in uh, on the customer. And you know, the interesting thing is every, most businesses, not all, but most businesses have some percentage of their business coming from their existing customers. And um, firms like uh, software subscription businesses uh, that have annual subscriptions, once you get up and running, it's, it's disproportionately high uh, with, the, with the renewal basis. But yet most companies hardly spend or don't spend any of their sales and marketing budget on their customers. They, they aim it all at the net new. Mm -hmm. and, so and so you're really spending a lot of money to get new logo when you could move and redirect a certain percentage of that funds towards your existing customers and get a better yield. I see. And so what are some of the tactics? Or like, so what does that look like on a day-to-day -day basis within your marketing teams or in your sales teams about how like the interactions are changing or how you're implementing these on the ground? Yeah, so let's start off with what I think should be the most obvious phase, onboarding, right? So I, we, we sign the contract, but for many companies, the first communication the customer gets is the bill. You know, like they were excited, we've wined you, we've dined you, we've taken you to basketball games and we've done all this stuff and you sign the contract and now, so before as the customer, I had no risk, but now I do. And so I'm looking forward to getting started and it doesn't feel very good. And then a lot of companies just completely skip that pace. So one of the specific tactics that we're doing is helping our companies implement, our, our, our customers implement onboarding programs. Now look, they don't have to be overly elaborate, but start somewhere. Right. Like, hey, welcome to my company. Let me give you some tips and tricks. You can send out a welcome basket, um, sign copy of your book if you have it, uh, a personal note from the executive or a phone call. I mean, there are things that you could just show appreciation for the customer for actually investing in your product or service. And then really, this is the first chance. So the wedding now has occurred, right? We got married. Um, if you skip onboarding, it's like skipping over the whole honeymoon period and you're jumping like five years ahead into the marriage, right? There's no time. This is such a wonderful time to build that foundation. Mm -hmm. customer. Yeah, that's great. But, but, but you're ditching them at the altar basically right after. <laughs> so, it, so again, it doesn't have to be overly fancy, but you could do some things. Right. Um, set out a, a time nurture program, set up a personalized portal and, and some of those other tactics that we meant. So that, that's one of the things that we're doing. Um, the second is really having some type of program around adoption. Right. So uh, in software, you certainly look at usage, right? Are the users logging in? But it should be more than that. Are they actually taking advantage of the features? Because what we're trying to do here is get full utility uh, from uh, of the customer. Now, if you're selling a small product or you're in commerce and your product's only a couple hundred, a couple thousand bucks, this is not as significant. But right. you start getting up and selling things in five, six, seven figures, it is because if the customer is not really using it, then you're, they're, they're going to not realize the value and right. they're going to be disenchanted. So we work with our clients here to put in specific programs that will drive adoption.
um, how-to videos, use cases, case studies, uh, customer success manager, regularly scheduled check-ins, um, you know, really to help customers. Um, networking groups, you know, setting up weekly or monthly meeting sessions between other users so they could see and visualize how other companies are using it. Well, so let me ask you a real quick question there. I mean, do you find that, because I suspect, like, again, if you're selling the same solution to marketers or salespeople or IT, uh, how open are they to share, even though they're using the same system, they're a user group, but will they go up there and say, hey, here's how I'm doing it? Is there a competitive concern? Uh, I, th I think a lot would. I mean, yeah, look, you're always wary to a degree of your competitors, but um, if it's cross-sectional, and, and you're getting a lot of different ideas. I think people do like hearing from other people. And right, absolutely. particularly they want to hear outside their industry as well because um, that gives them different ideas. And sure, you always want to reference, like, is there a certain set of dashboards, a certain set of programs, a certain way that um, other companies within my industry are using this product or service? That is helpful also. Um, no, I, I think there's an appetite for it. And, mm -hmm. and I think as companies, we have an opportunity to be the catalyst for this. We can be stewards of helping helping our clients, helping the community uh, learn more and drive adoption. So that would be the second area. And then the third most critical area is value realization. So they, when a customer buys, when we buy something, we have a certain set of expectations, outcomes that we want to achieve with the product or service that, that we're buying. And it's going to be different for every customer because every customer has unique needs. Um, but before you can get into loyalty and references and advocacy, this is a very critical step. If, if the customer is not really driving the value, I spent 100,000, it just doesn't feel right, I, I feel like I wasted my money, I'm not getting full adoption, I, I'm not getting the outcomes, they're gonna retreat, you know, or they're, they're, not gonna, they're not gonna spend more, and then worse, especially if they're getting very poor value, they're going to be negative advocates, right? You know, be the ones that are going to tell people and post online, "Don't buy from this company." And so, where a, almost every company gets it wrong is with customer surveys, because asking you if you're going to buy from me again, or asking you if you're happy, these are emotions, right? And emotions are fleeting, right? So in the morning, I can say, "Hey, Tom, are you happy? Well, you could have had your first cup of coffee." You're good, got all your bills paid, got your car cleaned, you're feeling good, right? Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, maybe you just won a big deal the night before. This afternoon, you know, your kid comes home with an F, uh, the water heater breaks. Uh, you know, you just found out that a big project you were gonna get got delayed for you know four months. And well, okay, if I ask you now, you're happy. Well, no, not at the moment, no, you know. So um, and and they're fleeting, and then besides asking people how they feel is not specific enough. You know, I wanna know what your what is the issue what challenges you're having and what you're actually right. using the product for because with what i can take some actionable steps right if i ask you why why isn't the assembly line working well you could probably internalize that i don't know maybe i screwed up maybe my form is an idiot i don't know why like you know but if i said what what is going on with the assembly line well okay i think the uh, the wheel on the first part is not optimized it needs an oil change Right, you're going to be much more specific. So right. what we want to do with our surveys is we want to be much more specific. Tom, you know, um, um, tell me some ways that my product or service is helping you to become more efficient. Okay, how is it helping you become more effective? Is it helping you increase revenue? Is it helping you save time? Or anything that's much more specific. And even if the feedback is negative, that's still much more constructive right. because it's now actual, I can take yeah. 
Yeah, because you could say, well, actually, Jeff, it's not helping me more efficient at all. You know, I hate to tell you, but, you know, it, it, it's actually I'm spending now more cycles. Okay, no, that's awesome. Okay, tell me why, why is that happening, right? And then I can uncover. Now, maybe it's because I didn't train you properly or you missed a session. Maybe it's because uh, we thought something was working and it's really not working the way it was designed. But that's the kind of valuable feedback that will allow us to build for other products and services and then we can be more in tune to our customer. Um, and then a lot of companies, even B2B companies, have some loyalty programs, some reference programs, and many still don't. Um, but again, this is a good opportunity to really be systematic about it. Now, we don't have to go to the ends of the earth, let's say like a Starbucks loyalty program or um, uh, frequent flyer miles or an American Express membership program. I mean, those programs are meant for those types of companies. But I do think there are opportunities where mm -hmm. we can do gamification, we can do find ways, whether it's having them be on customer advisory boards or speak at a conference or provide input. There's a lot of different ways that, you, that we can actively promote and reward loyalty. Um, and we should be investing more time in that. And then, you know, with advocacy, a lot of people just assume that, I mean, advocacy just happens. And, and sure, that's the truest definition. You know, people will just scream from the rafters that they love our product or service. And that's awesome. And when they do that, that's great. But we can actually invest time and effort in actually putting some structure underneath that program because there's ways of actually driving advocates to action and finding advocates in new ways. And if we invest some time in that area, that's going to have a much better um, return on investment and lowers total cost to customer right. position. Now, those are great. Um, those are three great uh, examples. Where do you see most companies jumping in? Is it the customer experience, the adoption, value realization? Um, you know, where do companies have the most, or, or maybe the easiest entry point if they're considering those three things? I, I think onboarding is the easiest way to jump in. Um, most B2B companies have some type of marketing capability, even if it's just basic email or they're running on a marketing platform. Um, so just setting up a very simple welcome nurture program is a good place to start. Um, if you have any type of workflow or project management system internally, or even within your CRM, you can organize a set of tasks that's triggered off of a closed one opportunity that is assigned to specific people. Uh, if you're using Microsoft Teams, they've got a built-in project task. Sorry about that, that's my dog. No <laughs> um, they keep going or you wanna pause? No, keep going, yeah, keep going, it's fine. Okay. Um, I got, I got, I'm just going to put pull the shade down. So okay, saying. sure, no worries. The, the joys of working from home during a yeah. pandemic. Right? Uh, trust me, we have a puppy and uh, three kids working virtually from for school. So um, I get that, no worries. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. So we're um, okay. We were just talking about the the onboarding seems to be the most opportunistic way for companies to kind of dive in um, and kind of achieve this more customer centric. Um, I mean, these are great. I mean, I'm t I'm taking away several ideas for myself and, and nine lenses as we uh, as we kind of go through this because you're right. I mean, this it is can easily be an afterthought, right? Because like the you know, for most organizations, getting the customer to sign is climbing the mountain and ringing the bell. And then it's like, okay, we got to go back to the bottom of the mountain and we go back up again. And um, 
it, it's it's easy to think about those customers um, and, and focus on the next new one. So you're you're absolutely right. And 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 what's been the reaction as you've been sharing this with your clients? Um, well, I mean, I think once they put it in place, they they really do start to see the results. I mean, it, but it is a big change um, impact on on a lot of companies because they are everyone's so hardwired to go get the next deal, and so it's one of these things where you don't just flip a switch and it happens overnight. Right. It can take some time. Um, even getting an onboarding program in for companies sometimes could take six to nine months. And wow. we're not, we're not, forget the rest of the stuff that I just went through. Uh, so it, 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 it's an impact. Uh, even getting a salesperson to think, gosh, I should really call and check in on the customer I just won last week because they're so busy going after the next one. Like, oh, I have no more activities to do and I'm not quoted on that. You know, I'm, I got my deal in. I'm going to go get the next one. Uh, so it, it really does take executive alignment and mm -hmm. it really takes uh, buy-in from the top. And, and it's a lot about governance and change management as much as anything else. And change is hard. And the bigger the company it is, the harder it is to adopt. And why change? It's good enough, right? It's been working well enough. I'll just hire more salespeople. I'll just get marketing to, to generate more leads. We'll, you know, we'll spend more money on advertising. Why, why reinvent the wheel? Well, yeah. as you start losing market share, as you struggle even more and more, as you're starting to wonder why you're missing your forecast and you're not hitting your revenue numbers, that's why. But yeah. how long do you want it? How long do you want to keep it up? You know, how long do you want to continue? And I suspect, I mean, a lot of the buying motions are very different now. The expectations of buyers in the B2B space now align much more to what they ex want to experience in the consumer space, right? And and um, you know, so they have certain expectations that is driving some of this as well. It's, it's, I mean, these are all nice things and it's gonna help us financially, but I think it's also, if you don't do these things, there's a downside because the expectations are different. Is that, is that they're, fair? They're very different. And, and, and look, it doesn't matter what business you're in, everyone's being impacted by it. Uh, take financial services. If you're, um, if you're a financial advisor working for a brokerage, it's harder than ever before. It's a very competitive business. Um, even homeowners now, you can have access to all kinds of robo advice and investment advice online. What am I paying an advisor for when I can go and I can get tips and tricks and I can go get a weekly blurb from Warren Buffett or, or Kramer or somebody else and they tell me what to invest in and it's actually working out pretty well. You know, why do I have to pay a fee? So advisors deal with that. And so they, they have to use different types of tools. They have to create different kinds of experiences and provide different kinds of advice. There isn't any industry that's not being impacted by um, the fact that there's so much information available to everyone about everything. Mm -hmm. And so you can't just sell. You have to find a way to provide value. You have to find a way to be consultative. Um, and so all these sales training methodologies, they're bullshit. They really are. Uh, they, they were all invented so that you can have consistency for a sales team to put in a process because it's certainly better than having no process at all. But not a single one of them is truly customer centric. Mm -hmm. It's all about how do I train a salespeople to act like a top salesperson and get them to do a specific set of actions repeatedly. Right. But all of them, they just don't work. Why? You know why? Because our customers have been trained in them too. And they know all the techniques, they know all the gimmicks, they know everything. So it's, it's false. It's fake. It's not transparent. 
you got to work much harder than that. You know, it's not and genuine. Just, yeah. No, it's not. Uh, it's it a long time ago. Maybe it was about eight or nine years ago. And I, and I was on a sales call and uh, someone was sharing their objections. And I started with, so I understand how you feel. And what I found is, and the person stopped me, they're like, oh, no, no, don't give me that feel felt down bullshit. I know all about that. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, let me, uh, let me try a different approach. You know, so look, they, they go to the same schools of negotiation. They're just as sophisticated and savvy uh, as we are. And especially when you're selling to and marketing to multiple buyers, many people that you don't even know they're there because you didn't even bother to make the effort. And, and you think that you're going to keep just working that primary contact and that's somehow magically you're going to, you're going to get it. Thin. Well, you might be able to do it, but you're going to have to work a lot harder. Mm -hmm. You know, you're still cold calling it, back in the, you know, a few years ago, you may maybe made a hundred calls to get an appointment. Now you're making a thousand. Like, sure. You want to keep doing it? Uh, you know, I got, right, I got. Right. <laughs> it's, it's just not, it's just no, not no, hard. no. Yeah, no, things have certainly changed. And, um, well, I think I can take away that, I mean, obviously the customer experience is something people talk a lot about, but oftentimes don't know what that looks like. And I think the framework, F the funnel concept, and and I know this is coming out in a book, right? So you're you're currently writing a book with the same title. I am, yeah, uh, with Forbes. So really excited wow. about it. And it should hit the bookshelves in uh, June of next year, 2021. Fantastic. Well, we'll certainly... Um, uh, be looking for that, Jeff. Um, so let's just go to um, a second revenue rule. Um, do you have a second that you're really passionate about right now? Well, Tom, we're, we're revenue marketers here, so we've got hundreds of revenue rules. But yeah, I, I would <laughs> say uh, the second one I, I think is being data driven. You know, really the the days of uh, using hunches, sitting in a room, coming up with arbitrary points for scores. Um, thinking that you know what your ideal customer profile is, um, building personas in a boardroom, and not actually using data to validate, it, it, those days are over. So if you're still doing many of those things, you're sadly out of touch uh, with what's happening. So there's a lot of great intelligence out there now. So whether you're using one of the great ABM platforms like Sixth Sense or Demandbase, uh, or you are using Bombora, which is an engine that feeds in, or you're using Visible. Um, you know, there's a lot of capability out there that can funnel in what's happening around the web, not just what's on your site. And then beyond that, you really need to be looking critically at the data you are capturing from your marketing platforms and from your CRM systems and, uh, and look at who is actually buying, what are they doing, and where, where are they doing it, and then really working hard to meet the customer where they are give them the right content at the right time at the right place. And, and so the, the, the goal really is just to help the customer where they are so they can move mm -hmm. to the next step, whatever the next step might be. And, and, and that's really very different, but you're using data to tell you versus hunches. Right. Right. So like in the old days, we would just come up with an ideal customer profile kind of in a vacuum. Again, educated as best we can just with our, you know, anecdotal information and conversations with customers, et cetera. And then we would go build um, maybe a list of people. You know, we could go look at LinkedIn or some other things, build a list of people that seem like that. And we go outreach. Um, and that's but that's all based on our thinking inside the office. Right. And then going out, you're you're saying that needs to be infused with external data from these different systems. Is that is that a good summary of that? Yes. 
Um, and, and yeah, I mean, think about your own journey at Nine Lenses and what you guys have learned and where your first tar primary markets were just even two years ago and yeah. who you're starting to target now. It's a world of difference, right? As you learn, the data is telling you who's actually buying, you know, when where the opportunities are. So I think we all have to be more objective in, in what we're looking at and let the data tell us. And a lot of times if we're willing to really look at it. We're gonna find out a lot of things that we don't know. Let's stop, let's stop thinking that we know everything about everything. And, and if we've got a great product or service, that's awesome. Now let's be really open-minded to how people might view that, what they're actually looking for. And we could have a completely different view of how we would market our product or service. Right, and I think you're, you're um, you know, I gotta tell the story because I think this is, um... You know, so like Nine Lenses, you know, that a company I run, we've, we're targeting a certain buyer set, you know, management consultants. And um, and and so along comes the Pedowitz Group about two years ago. And I remember this vividly that I was on a call with someone on your team. I hadn't met you yet. And they said, you know what, Tom, can we use your software to build an assessment to put on our website to market and add value to our prospects and give them an instant score? And no one had ever laid out that question or request to us uh, like that. Now, it would have been easy to just say, no, sorry, we don't do that. Um, but I had an inkling that, you know, it was a very unique request. And um, luckily at the time, we had just released a feature that enabled us to actually deliver on the vision that your team was asking. And um, so we, you know, signed you guys as a, as a customer. You guys built your first interactive assessment um, on our platform that was on your website. And, and I know you guys had a, a lot of success there. But I remember, you know, uh, several months later, I, I called and said, hey, the Petowitz Group, like, how's this whole thing going? Because again, you were like one of our, like our first customer using our platform in this way. And the, the, that conversation uh, and the success that your team was having, driving your leads through that assessment and then having more meaningful sales discussions completely changed my view of my own business, uh, the opportunity in this new market space. And we've been kind of um, running in that direction ever since. So, I mean, I think this is a great example. And, and again, just a personal example of just being able to be open-minded and that ultimately changed our, our our whole perspective on the business. And we and we have tangible proof because, of course, we do have tags on everything. We're revenue marketers, and and we know unequivocally that we've generated millions of dollars off of the assessments that your team has built. It's had a major impact on the pipeline, and it, because it it really and and it gets confusing for people because a lot of times when you say assessment, people will think of something like Survey Monkey, uh, or there are some even better alternatives now with the raw content and ion interactive and, and such and they make um more turnkey a little bit more pleasant user experiences and even survey monkey but what they're still not doing is they're not really doing nested comprehensive um if then analysis and providing tailored specific actions in a report right. not to mention summarizing it in a meaningful index that you could use from a consulting capacity so there's some significant differences between how you're, and we have not been able to find anything like it um, on, on the marketplace. And that's that's important, right? And so when when all of us are, we all fight competition every day. You know, I have competition, you have competition, everybody has competition, right. and, and no one is resting. So what worked yesterday might not work tomorrow. And so we're just constantly looking for ways to provide value. And we have found that using assess assessments 
because look, after all, we're consultants. So right. in order to be able to recommend something to our clients, we have to start with assessment and discovery. And uh, your platform has made that much more streamlined because here's the thing. Nobody wants to wait six months for the results of your discovery and assessment. It, right. it, it's just time's money, right? Assess me today, start tomorrow. That's pretty much what people right, want to right, have happen. Right. So, and that's, and your platform allows that to happen. And, and you guys have, you know, have a lot of great methodology and framework as, you know, good consultants do. And it was just being able to kind of package that up and offer that value all the way up in the sales process and the marketing process before they even engage is to help them understand where they are to your point meeting them where they are i mean a lot of times people come to our site your site other sites just basically asking can this firm help me solve my problems and as much content as we put out there uh, we never really know how they answer that question because it's a one-way communication and so the better that we can tailor our experiences and insight and value to those buyers um, to help them really understand their own business in a unique way has proven to get people to engage and accelerate through the funnel. Um, and I know your assessment is just always one that I point out to other people. And I would encourage the, the listeners to certainly check out the brand new revenue acquisition assessment uh, on the, the, the pedowitzgroup.com. You'll see it kind of, I think, maybe middle or halfway down the page. I'll put it in the show notes so everyone can kind of see that and take that. But if you're a marketer, um, it is a fantastic tool with real meaningful insights. And I know your team, if you drove that, we're just providing the technology and some guidance, but it is real meaningful value. So, um, you know, how did you guys come come to that, you know, model, the revenue acquisition? Well, we've uh, used various iterations over the years. So you know, back when I was at Eloqua as uh, a director and then a VP of professional services, I had introduced uh, a framework even back then. It was called a marketing effectiveness quotient and it was built around capabilities. And, and so introduced that back in 2005 of doing assessments around marketing capabilities in a rapidly changing world. And when I started the Pedowitz Group, we just continued to iterate on it. And then in 2010, it became RM6, which has been our methodology we've used for the last 10 years to drive digital transfer transformation and meaningful change uh, with our customers. And um, our original version had, for the time, a whole set of capabilities. But now, this year, with the release of that revenue acquisition assessment, we've completely overhauled it. So because we're now in 2020, heading into 2021, and not only does it include everything that what we did nine, 10 years ago, but there's a whole host of new mm -hmm. capabilities because that's where marketing and sales are today. Uh, chasing revenue, the revenue hustle going into 2021 does not look like the revenue hustle of 2010. So we're just doing our job as professional consultants and thought leaders to help show our customers where the world is going. And our, our job is to enable digital revenues, helping our customers move from legacy mechanisms of driving revenue into a modern digital age. And so that's really what this assessment does. Well, it doesn't do all of that, but at least it, it allows yeah. us to find out where the customer is, and then we can help our customers build roadmaps from, from there. Right, and actually helps them understand, right? I think a lot of times our, the products that we're buying and selling today, most of our buyers don't really understand their own problem and aren't really in a position to evaluate the solution properly, right? It takes time for them to be educated. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that you're doing with your revenue acquisition assessment is educating the customer about their own business instantly and that they can look at, you know, look at their business differently, experience your um, 
advisory, even though it's not anyone providing, it's all baked into the automated scorecard with recommendations that you're giving. And, you know, I, I, the thing I love about the Pedowitz Group is that you guys are great consultants, but you're eating your own or drinking your own champagne in your own marketing department. And so um, you're you're doing this in your own marketing department and then taking this these new lessons to your clients. And I think that's what's been so valuable to me just working with your team because you're really educating us too about all the different ways that you're driving success with your interactive assessment that we then take and share with our other clients that they're doing similar things. So you guys are always pushing the envelope um, on the marketing front, which I guess you should be as marketing advisors, right? But you guys really do deliver on that. So if you talk to anybody on our marketing team, it's it's always the hardest job in our company because everybody on my team is an expert at something and they're constantly just picking the shreds apart. Uh, <laughs> like, I bet. Uh, on our marketing team. Uh, but uh, it's also incredibly satisfactory, especially when you get thumbs up from the team and, and, um, and, and just it grows trying to push the envelope. And, you know, again, no one can rest, you know, um, there's every day, there's some new competitor that's out there and they're going to want to try and take what we, what we've built. And it's the same for everybody else out there and for all of our customers. And so you just can't rest in your laurels. You just got to keep pushing. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff. I just want to close and just kind of learn a little bit more about you, right? So just tell us a little bit of how you got into marketing. Um, what made you want to decide the Pedowitz group and, and, um, you know, continue to build that business? Well, I think I, I really always enjoyed sales and marketing as well as technology. I mean, growing up, uh, my parents, they, they, they started off as teachers and then they both moved into sales and they both had very successful careers. First at World Book uh, Childcraft, which was an uh, encyclopedia competed with Britannica. And I have a lot of fond memories about you know, them, them taking me around and going to their trade shows and exhibits and I would watch them do their sales meetings and pitches and mm. uh, they would play uh, Zig Ziglar and Dennis Waitley and all these other guys in the car on the 8-track. <laughs> and uh, so I was just always around that that sales uh, mentality. But the funny thing was, uh, you know, my parents were really, really good and they would win all these trophies and awards. And uh, my mom would always talk to her dad, who was an accountant and also a teacher. And she said, Dad, Dad, you know, hey, you know, Art and I, we, we won another award. And my grandfather would always say the same thing. And how much money did you get for that? Like, you know, you know who cares about the trophy, right? So <laughs> just being exposed from an early age, like, yeah, trophies are great. Recognition is great. But did you actually make money? Did you get, right. did you, get you know? And, um, so then uh, really, I, I've always loved computers. You know, I had uh, Commodore 64 when I was 12 or 13, taught myself how to program. Just always enjoyed it. Um, and then I spent my teen years uh, working in the restaurant business. And so up in New Jersey, working for uh, Greek diners who are obsessive about everything. They literally count, you know, every gram of ketchup, every sugar packet, every grain of salt. Um, and, and because it's money, you know. <laughs> uh, and so just really growing up that operational focus. And so I, I was around operations. I was around technology. I was around sales and marketing and just kind of fed into it. So uh, in the 90s, I owned and operated a bunch of Subway sandwich shops with my dad, mm -hmm. his, his partner. And then I moved into technology near the end of the, the 90s and worked my way up and just kept bouncing back between channel, marketing, tech, working for a lot of right. different companies. And then in the early 2000s, I was exposed to Eloqua. I, I was running channel sales for a company called SalesNet, which was an early competitor of Salesforce. 
And uh, we bought Alpha to help drive leads for our resellers. And uh, I think, you know, it, it, they, they say in life, you know, sometimes if you're fortunate enough, you get a calling, like literally the heavens open up and you know that's what you're meant to do. Yeah. Probably the closest thing I, I think I felt I ever had just because it combined all my loves of what I love to do. Mm. So, so much so that I ended up working for Aliqua and uh, worked with some amazing people. And we, we built out a lot of uh, capability around that platform. And, and it was our team at Aliqua uh, that actually came up with lead scoring. It wasn't even a thing before uh, 2000. Wow. And uh, so the whole A1, B2, C3 kind of methodology, we, we built it and, uh, and uh, trained a lot of the early partners. And uh, they saw all the success they had with all the stuff that my team and I were coming up with. And I said, well, I could do that. <laughs> uh, and I still remember I was, uh, it was in June of 2007 and I was at the Newark airport. Um, and I was probably either coming back from Toronto or going to Toronto. And I talked to Dave Lewis, who's a good friend of mine. And he had just started this company maybe a few weeks before, a month before. And he was so excited. He was telling me all about it. And I was like, all right, well, hey, Dave's out there doing it. I, you yeah, know, like, I can do it. sounds like fun. Uh, so I'm going to do it. So that's what happened. So I, in July, I hung up the shingle. And it's been an awesome run ever since. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so how, this has been 13 years. And um, who's your typical customer now? Most of our customers are pretty big. Uh, so mid to enterprise customers, I, I would say about 80% of our customers are over a billion dollars. Uh, we have a big mix between B2B and B2C, though, and uh, we're, we're just typically working with marketing, sales, and IT organizations that are trying to enable digital revenue. Uh, a lot of verticals, I'd say our strongest ones are tech, software, financial services, healthcare, manufacturing, and uh, business services would probably be our, our biggest ones. But uh, and then uh, if we're working with smaller clients that are south of 100 million, it's usually because they're VC or venture back, private equity, or people that have worked with us before and went to a department and know what we're capable of and right. we're really trying to get to escape velocity. Awesome. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really helpful. I've certainly got a few takeaways that I'm going to talk to my team uh, in our in our 2021 planning about. So um, if it's helping me, I'm certain it's going to help many others. So thanks again for your time. Thanks for being a great partner. And um, we'll talk to you down the road. You got it. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure. And let's go hustle some revenue. All right. You got it. Thank you for tuning in to The Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at NineLenses.com. See you next time.